I was recently invited back to the Log Rocket podcast to talk about Svelte Society, how to build community around technologies. And yeah, Svelte Society has been going very well. We've had over 10,000 members and we're holding our fourth conference next month at sveltesummit.com. So check it out. And we also memed Svelte to the top of multiple surveys. So I think the Stack Overflow, the GitHub, and the State of JavaScript surveys all voted Svelte as the most loved framework. Hello. Welcome back, Swix. Hey. For the second time. It's good to, good. To, I'm seeing you. No one else is seeing you, but they're listening to you. Hey. It's good to be back. Uh, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. It's our pleasure. <laughs> Um, so we had you on when, like, I don't know, two months ago, three months ago, something like that. Yeah. Roughly. Uh, and in the intervening time you've been doing things, which seems reasonable. Um, and one of the things that you've been doing, uh, has to do with Svelte and the Svelte society. So I have two questions and you can decide in which order to address them. One, what is the Svelte society and why? So I guess that's one A and one B. And then the other question is like, I personally have a hard time truly understanding what, what Svelte is and why people compare it to react and like what the, I think it would be useful for the audience for somebody who is certainly more knowledgeable than me and perhaps even an expert to be like, here's what it is. Here's where you would use it. This is why it exists, et cetera. Sure. I probably should start with what is Svelte first. Uh, so Svelte is a framework, a front-end framework uh, comparable to React, Vue, or Angular. Uh, I would say it's definitely in the, it's considered one of the big four now, I guess. And it's the smallest of the big four. And it does one thing differently from the others, which is it focuses very much on a compiler-first approach. Um, c- compiling in the features that you use and nothing else. So a Svelte uh, project, you know, like a Hello World with Svelte will be the absolute smallest amount of JavaScript compared to all the others because it has no framework footprint. It has a very small runtime, uh, but it's essentially uh, compiles to the JavaScript that you would have to write by hand yourself. Um, so it's it's very much a, a lightweight approach for people who are very sensitive to bundle size, and it but it also has batteries included uh, be, by having uh, scoped styles, animation, state management, all the features that you would typically expect out of a proper front end, full feature front end framework, um, because it can, it only compiles in the things that you use. It can offer that kind of thing without actually compromising on the bundle size. So that's Svelte. Uh, It was created by Rich Harris at uh, the New York Times. He's had several runs at this. Uh, The the previous, the predecessor framework was called Reactive. And when he realized that he wanted a completely different syntax, instead of (laughs) hard forking Reactive and and taking the community in a different way, he just kind of let it go on its own and created a new framework to, to serve his needs at the New York Times. And obviously... As one does, sure. You make your own framework. As one does. Uh, he's the sort of guy, and there's there's a small group of performance-focused JavaScript people who are very, very particular about their dependencies. So they don't just randomly import a billion things in your known modules. They actually care about 
what goes in there and the speed of, of all these things. So he's also the guy that made Rollup, which is the number one competitor to Webpack, but also a bunch of other utilities uh, for testing and for uh, string manipulation and so on and so forth. So Svelte uh, serves, the, serves the needs at New York Times anytime you interact with a New York Times article, particularly anything in the data viz sphere. It's made with Svelte and D3, which are all New York Times technologies. And you can see that the, the the need for performance as well as the need for rapid development because usually it's just one or two people working on those things that are viewed by millions, and uh, you need the, the full feature. You need uh, you know you can really see the the decisions that arise out of there the the conditions that have been made. So there's there's a decent decent amount of adoption uh, by Svelte, and we can talk about you know the 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 the, the companies, but uh, actually a lot of news organizations have followed suit. Uh, so uh, I think it's called Le Monde in, in France yeah. Yeah. Um, has, has, uh, has adopted it. Like a lot of other, like The Economist has adopted it. Um, there's a lot of news organizations that, that really tend towards it because they all have the same needs, which is like data journalism, uh, interactivity on a, on a site where performance really, really matters, <laughs> you know, uh, when, especially if you're dealing with a media site. Um, but and then also it's starting to seep into some other companies. So I think uh, it's Alaska Airlines that uses it for all their mobile onboarding applications again because of speed. Um, Apple uses it uh, for some of their internal sites. Um, Disney, Square Enix, IKEA.com. Uh, there's there's a there's a decent amount of adoption uh, from from well known companies. So I think. That's a, a rough explainer of Svelte itself. Um, there is a meta framework that's called SvelteKit. Uh, so just like React has Gatsby and Next.js, or Vue has ViewPress, uh, Svelte has its own sort of, you know, the, it takes care of the server-side rendering and the static uh, rendering and all that. And we can talk about SvelteKit and what it does. Um, but yeah, that's that's the overview of Svelte as a framework. Well, I- my question was the adoption process, right? Like I understand yes. kind of intuitively, like, okay, if you are at The Economist or Le Mans or, or any other giant news site in the New York Times uses felt, you're like, well, if it's good enough for the New York Times, perhaps we should give it a shot. And, <laughs> you know, so that makes sense to me. I'm kind of interested though in like, in how other, I don't know, but disparate, but other kind of different, types of organizations, which I guess maybe their apps have similar needs. Like I have a giant, like Ikea probably has, you know, well, not probably for sure has the same kinds of like speed is important, tons of media, but how do you, that's a big deal, <laughs> which is understating it, right? Where you go from like, I don't know whatever they were using before, but then somebody at Ikea had to be like, listen, we're going to use felt now. Here's how I want to test it. Like, do you have any insight into how that process works? Is it any different than really any other framework change? Um, no, I, I think people just evaluate based on their needs and how, um, I guess their willingness to try new things, <laughs> because I, I think it's totally valid to, to hear about something cool and not use it because you already knew, know the tools you do well. So, uh, you know, so, some people are more adventurous than others and they try it and they, they really like it. Um, I will say that, uh, it's interesting following along Scott Talinsky's work because you know you know Scott is uh, part of the Syntax FM podcast. He runs his own site called Level Up T- Tutorials with a small team of three or four people, um, and he 
tried Svelte, really liked it, and actually was like, yeah, I'm not going to do anything with that because my site's already written in React. Um, and then I think on a, just a random whim, he decided to do a prototype of one page, and then uh, and now flash forward to about three weeks later, he's actually in the middle of rewriting the entire site and seeing the the performance and the development speed benefits, uh, particularly in. I, typically, when you rewrite from React to Svelte, you get something on the order of 20 or 30% less lines of code. Uh, but then it also exposes opportunities to progressively add animations and styling because it's just built in as part of the framework instead of a completely alien thing to, to React. Um, so even a guy like Scott, who has a fair amount of experience teaching other people to do animations in React, finds it easier. And... Uh, the other the other thing I'll, I'll highlight is also that Svelte so also builds in CSS transitions and animations as part of the framework, um, so you don't resort to JS as much. You you tend to use the platform more, uh, and that's just because it, React tends to translate everything for you into JS. The, the final thing I'll point out, uh, which actually has been a huge help, which is that critics of Svelte, people who say like it's not that big of a difference, paradigm change, because it still uses components, because Svelte 3 has an API that's very strongly inspired by hooks, they're like, it's not that different from React. And that's they think that's a diss. And actually, it's a benefit because you can learn it. If you if you already know React, you can learn Svelte in a day uh, and be productive on <laughs> with it. It just has the features that you have been missing all this while. So that's part of my conversions is felt from, from being a hardcore React person. And I think a lot of companies are moving along that path. Um, you know, just to bring in a little bit of my own company, I work at temporal.io and we are spinning up a new front end team. And, you know, the framework discussion was on the table. Uh, I, you know, obviously had, I was comfortable with both React and Svelte, and then I didn't, I tried not to influence it. And the team independently picked Svelte uh, after uh, building some of their prototypes. Um, and so the adoption conversation is going to happen in, in a bunch of different places. Um, and what I guess one of the, the big concerns is the size of the ecosystem, right? Like uh, I just said, it's one of the smallest, uh, it's the smallest one of the big four frameworks. And uh, so there's this concern about hiring and there's a concern about libraries. So hiring is easier because, well, it's hiring is not as big of a deal as people think because people can convert very easily from React. And then the second part about libraries, that, that's the more contentious bit because it is smaller. But the thing with the contention by the Svelte community is that um, you don't need as much, like, React, because it's a very strongly functional paradigm, everything has to be translated to React dash the thing that you wanted uh, because you have to write React, React adapters to everything. Um, Svelte's native language is HTML. H, the, the view is that the first language of the web is HTML, not JavaScript. So every, everything that works with HTML works with Svelte. So uh, you, you can t generally tend to plug in things like D3 better uh, into Svelte than with React. Um, and, and and that's generally true for a lot of other framework agnostic libraries. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point to highlight earlier. Like you were kind of known as a as a React champion for a long time. Yep. And now now you're converted. I've gone to the dark side. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure if it's if it's the dark side. I don't really know. I, I 
it does, I guess the question that popped into my head immediately was like, okay, so let's say, you know, now that there's the big four, is there a big five? Will there be a big six? So on and so forth, which is, I'm not, I didn't come up with this idea. Yeah. There's a meme of, uh, you know, there's new front end framework every month. Um, why you, why bother betting on anything? Um, this, this will just come and go. That's a slippery slope. Why I bothered? Why get out of bed? Why? I, mean, I don't know if that's too dark for for Pod Rocket. Listen, if it's upsetting to everyone, forget it. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love addressing the top concerns head on. Like, there's no point pretending it, these concerns don't pop up every single time a Friday framework is discussed on Hacker News. So it's worth addressing that head on. And I think the rationale for me is just simply that the uh, Angular, Vue, and React just simply have not addressed my needs as much as Svelte does. Um, and uh, I, I'm willing to try new things until I find something where I'm as productive as I want to be. And so far, that has been Svelte. Um, I have proposed bringing back some of the changes from uh, some of the things I find great from Svelte to React. Um, I've done prototype for the React community to pick up on, um, but since the core team at Facebook is not that interested in it, I don't see the particular need to you know, sacrifice my own time and, and effort on this project uh, when there's an existing community that I that already shares my values and I can just join. So, <laughs> uh, so I'll, I'll put it in there. Yeah, I'll talk. I'll talk a little bit about like the it's a, it's an interesting career bet, right? Like, so I spent two years going really hard on React. And getting to know everybody who's anybody in React and speaking at the top React conferences all over the world uh, and building a good, decent name for myself. And it's a it's the top framework. It's very highly in demand. So why did I walk away? And the that's a that's a really fascinating thing, which I I'm not really sure myself on like why. Um, I, <laughs> I'll say I'll say that. Uh, at some point, the reputation or the money doesn't matter anymore, and you have to focus on like what is still bothering you at the core. What uh, you know, you, you, when you have job security, when you have a fundamental understanding of like, okay, like anytime I need to, I can still use React. But what's next? Then you really start thinking about five years ahead, 10 years ahead, uh, and understanding that, uh, you know, the, 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 the things as they are now may not be that way forever. Um, and start starting to try, try to really look ahead and position yourself that way. So that's what, that's where run about where I am right now. Um, people often, often point to this fact, React is as old as jQuery was when React was released, right? If you think about the evolution of JavaScript in terms of ages, there's the there's the age of no frameworks, which is the formation of JavaScript. There's the first age of JavaScript. Second age of JavaScript was libraries modifying the behavior of JavaScript, which is jQuery. Third age was frameworks, and uh, and that was the age of React. Uh, what's next, right? So uh, very much thinking about what the future holds, and and I think for now, Svelte is uh, my bet, and I think it's it's been a decent one so far. Can you think of examples where Svelte is maybe not a great fit currently? Like what are the things that you're working on or not working on? Or thinking like, yeah. well, that's just, you shouldn't use Svelte. You should use Angular because it's good for this. 
Well, I, the, my problem is I don't know I don't know Angular, uh, so that that's my that's a definitely a weak spot for me. Yeah, so uh, I actually have written a blog post that that covers uh, this opinion that I call felt for sites, react for apps, and it it just nicely pisses off everyone from <laughs> whether you like felt or or react. It's not that hard to do, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so React has the best cross platform story right now, right? So if you want to use if you want to write one app, one code base that also runs on mobile um, or TV or what have you, React Native is really, really good and is is funded and well-supported. And no one else has anywhere close to that amount of support, except maybe for Flutter, which is on on its way up. And we can talk about that one. Um, So that's, that's, you know, the React Native story is really good. And then the accessibility story for React is actually surprisingly good. So people ding... React developers a lot because they tend to not know accessibility basics, um, and that that is often true. But at the same time, because React is so big, it's getting the most investment from Chrome, from Adobe, from you know, whoever else working on access, working on accessibility to build in really good libraries for uh, for common controls that you might need in an app like uh, you know Adobe Cloud or whatever they call that, the, the Creative Cloud. Um, yeah, and and so I think the the problem is it's not done. Like a lot of these are like are, are like in process or like not super well adopted elsewhere. It's still kind of being worked on, um, and you have to piece all these things together yourself. But if you really care about app accessibility, which is a different thing from site accessibility, uh, if you really care about app, app accessibility, I would definitely look into that. I'm sorry to interrupt. Okay, can you explain the difference between? Sure. app and site accessibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, look, I, I, again, I'm not a huge expert. Site accessibility is pretty much b- baked into HTML. Like use the right tags. Like when you when you need a button, use the button, not a div with an on click, you know? Um, and and there, most things will be built in. Like uh, use it, use the inbuilt date, field, date time uh, fields, uh, use the inbuilt inputs, all, all good. Uh, the problem with was saying just use semantic HTML like you guys are idiots like just use HTTPS use the platform and and then all your accessibility issues will go away. The problem with doing that is that it ignores the the harder parts of accessibility when it comes to apps and and novel interactions that you're doing with your phone or your uh, your 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 website uh, when someone isn't visually uh, is you know isn't actually using their eyes to, to, to browse it. Um, and you need to work on things like focus control uh, or uh, things like styling with, uh, uh, with, with proper focus and active s- states. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, there's, there's, just, there's, there's a long list of hard things that are being worked on in accessibility, which I, I can't really speak to. So I'll point people to, to a couple of projects. So check out React Aria by... Devin Govett from Adobe, and then check out uh, touching the web, something like uh, making like, making the web untouchable by Rick Hanlon, who now is working on uh, the React core team, um, and uh, and you can see how much there is to go for app accessibility. Um, the, we the the problem part of the problem with the open web competing against native. Uh, apps, you know, because like really, really the story of of uh, you know the web versus mobile apps is the story of mobile, right? Like it's it's the story of like why why is it that 
people still prefer the user experience of uh, native apps on mobile. Like they'd rather go to the app store and download the, the native app than to just go to a website. Uh, when on the desktop, we're perfectly happy to browse the website. Like we're using Zencaster through a browser rather than downloading the Zencaster native app and using that. Uh, and that's simply because app accessibility isn't there yet. Um, I, I, when, I, when I say accessibility, also, I also mean UX. And it's very hard to distinguish the two because uh, accessibility is basically UX for everyone. So that's part of it. Uh, there's, the other part is performance and you know uh, some APIs are not available. Um, and that all that is being worked on, but uh, it's definitely a, a big topic, which uh, I probably can't do service to, but you should talk to these people. <laughs> no, I agree. I, I believe me, we could do, and we should, I mean, there's a, we could do episodes on accessibility and bring in lots of folks. I do want to ask one last question about Svelte because then I want to get into Svelte Society because I think that's cool too. So let's just say it's a hypothetical I'll propose. Let's say you're either like an individual contributor dev or maybe even uh, a manager of a a reasonably sized team um, and you're interested in Svelte, but like you've got to convince somebody. Oh, yeah. You know, and and they're not that, I mean, uh, whoever that somebody is, is not convinced solely by sort of what we talked about in the beginning of the episode was that it's, um, you know, it's faster, it, it has to do with bundle size, so on and so forth. Um, how would you make that argument? Well, it depends what they care about. So I can't really make a blanket proposition to everybody. Um, I would say, uh, say, just try it out and, and really try to look for the developer experience and productivity gains um, because it, it really is true that you write fewer lines of code, uh, it really is true that because it uses HTML as its base, not JavaScript, you tend to be able to plug in uh, other libraries uh, easier than the, uh, as opposed to having to re- write a React uh, translation layer for everything. Um, and it really is true that you start using the platform more in terms of CSS and um, uh, native and you know styling and animation. I, I think that's that's always a win in terms of performance. Uh, you, you stop bringing in a library just to solve every little problem that you have. Um, so that's one thing. I, I think the other thing, which uh, I really enjoy actually, is uh, so one time uh, someone on a, on one of the podcasts that I've done said to me that, hey, React is open source. One of the benefits of open source is you can t- fork it and take it over if, if the core team actually ever drops it or you disagree and, and want to go in a different direction. Try it. Try, try taking over React and try understanding the code base. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot. <laughs> um, but then go through that experience. Actually, go, go read the React source code, right? See how convoluted it is. Um, and then come over to Svelte and look at the source code of that. And um, I've had multiple people now go through the source code and understand it's, it's really simple fundamentals as a compiler. And yes, compilers are complex, but they're not as complex as a runtime uh, essentially operating system, which, which React is. And I really appreciate it. I've done talks on React for that, that's doing that. It's, it's doing awesome things with React Suspense because of that. And it's innovating on, on truly new stuff that is genuinely great for Facebook's needs. But you are not Facebook. No, I'm not. Most people are not Facebook, and they should think about their needs compared to uh, the frameworks that are on offer out there. So what I'm really saying is there is a credible framework that is better suited, better, probably better suited to your needs because a different set of priorities, like having all having styling, <laughs> like 
what really sold me out was that uh, Rich, Rich Harris was giving a talk and I was, I was in the audience and he was like, seems to me like if you have a front end framework, styling should be a first class citizen. And I was like, shit, like, you're right. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, animations, like you should try to default to CSS if you can, because CSS is perfectly good animation. I was like, yeah, you're right. Um, and and you, you can't just like ignore this for, for, for too long before you're like, okay, right, I'll, I'll try this out. Um, and, and, uh, and then you can see how responsible, like the responsible thing to do is try to ship the features that you want with the minimal amount of JavaScript. And I think that um, both React and Svelte tackle it in, in different ways. So React says, all right, we'll, we'll take the React runtime as a base. So that's 100, and, 100 to 120 kilobytes of, of like raw runtime that you have to download every single time you visit a React site. But let's try to do the most that we can with that single runtime. Whereas Svelte says, I put, I'll put all my stuff in the compiler code base and you pick out from that what you need. Uh, and most of the time, you know, when I wrote, rewrote my my own my own site, uh, I think I, well, my my Gatsby site was 140, 150 kilobytes, and that went down to nine kilobytes when I ported everything to Svelte. Um, and you just realize like how much you don't use of React. Can you list all the features of React? And and a lot of people cannot. But when you do, you actually realize uh, you don't use mo most of it, and the features that it lacks are the things that you actually need. So it's just a weird like red pill moment of like oh actually you know the main the main reason why a lot of people use react is just because it seems to be the most popular framework right now um and that's fine you know the perfectly valid safe choice but when you start talking about technology in the terms of and this is what ken c Doss has been saying you never get fired for choosing react that's a bit of a uninspiring way it's like saying like react is ibm now <laughs> i was just gonna say that's like that old ibm yeah Okay, so final question, because you did say uh, earlier you were like, and I know I already said final questions, so if you're listening, you're like, will you shut up and get to Svelte mm -hmm. Society? Yes, I will. Just, we're not going anywhere. Do you think, so we were talking about the source code between you know React and Svelte, and I don't remember exactly what you said, but the gist was um, perhaps React is more complex versus looking at, at the Svelte source code. Do you think that's a function of, of how it's, how either framework is created or just one's been around longer and therefore has had many opportunities to be manipulated or added or whatever. You're saying because React has been, is older, it has just had naturally a bigger source code. Uh, yeah. Like could, is it possible for Svelte to be like React in terms of um, complexity in whatever, five or 10 years? Like, is that, could that be? I mean, you know, ne never say never. Um, but fundamentally, because Svelte rejects the idea of a virtual DOM, um, there's just less less between it and the the ultimate layer that that you are running, which is the the, the JavaScript on the browser. Um, and whereas React is fundamentally with React Fiber um, has a a significant amount of tooling that it needs uh, to support that. Um, so I, I will also say that React has gone through its own complete rewrite, right? So for with React Fiber as of React 15, uh, they basically threw away the old code base. So there's a lot of baggage that you that comes with supporting a, a large of a user as large of a user base as Facebook does. Um, and, and that's fine. Um, I think uh, yeah it's possible for Svelte to, to get there. Um, but I definitely say that the the people involved 
will probably uh, fight it very hard. Like again, it's it's very much about the culture, right? Uh, and and this is something I, I talked about in maybe the last episode or in my book, which is that when you choose open source projects, nominally you're choosing the technology as it is today. Like look at the docs, look at the features, and make a decision yourself. You want to get in bed, and you get like business married to technologies. You're really choosing the culture. You're really choosing the values of the company. And uh, Brian Cantrell from the, uh, God, I, I think he's at Oxide Computer Company now, uh, but he used to be a major, major, like Node.js um, uh, Unix ecosystem speaker. He's, he's a fantastic speaker. I just have him on at some point. Um, he had this talk about like the importance of values in open source. And like, it's like, uh, you know, this is waffly like human stuff, but it really matters when people make decisions and you don't agree with them uh, because over time, their project will diverge in, in ways which uh, you really don't like. <laughs> so you really have to evaluate the values of the, the, the community that you're opting into. Um, and I will say that the values of Svelte is always for simpler code and simpler uh, code bases and, you know, and fast development and all that. Um, Whereas React, you know, I'll speak. I'll speak the React point of view. Danny Bumov is a very good friend of mine, uh, and he says that you know, as long as they present to you a small API surface area, React has to, you know, is maybe doing the right thing by absorbing all that complexity into one dependency that's professionally managed by a well-funded team and tested at scale uh, by two billion users at Facebook before it's ever released to you. That's always true. It's just that you may not need all of it. Yeah. Do you think Rich Harris should come on this podcast? Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's a fantastic speaker. I mean, I, I'm definitely downstream of him in terms of a lot of my ideas. Um, I actually, you know, I was I was friends with him. Uh, I am friends with him, <laughs> and uh, basically ignored him for a year, and basically saw him give two talks and converted on the spot. Um, and I, I think I think he's a very convincing and interesting speaker himself. Me too, Rich. Come on. Well, we did send him an email and I suspect he gets more than a single email. So nothing personal, but I'm just lobbying. <laughs> All right. So let's move to Svelte Society. What is that? Yes. Why does it go? My perception of Svelte when I joined was that it was a mature enough framework and simply not enough people had heard about it or there was not enough focus on the community aspect. So there's a concept in technology adoption called the Rogers curve, which is the adoption or, or the, the other familiar framing of this is crossing the chasm. When a technology goes from early adopters into some kind of early and late majority, and finally there's the laggards. Um, Svelte what, as- Well, we should, we should cite Clayton yes. Christensen. You can read the book. It's, yeah, it's been around. Uh, um, well, he's not the only one. There's, a, there's an intellectual, the, the reason I call it the Rogers curve is to bring attention to Rogers, who was the, the first guy to actually publish the, the curve that you're thinking about with the bell curve. Um, and crossing the chasm was the one that actually identified a difference between stages two and three of that that bell curve, where it says uh, the the reason that early adopters adopt the technology, they don't look for like okay, what well known company has adopted this thing? Uh, they don't look for like they maybe don't even care about docs. They just care about does the technology do the thing that's that I've been missing from everything else that I've tried. Um, and they're happy to work on it nights and weekends. They're happy to work on it as in hobby projects, and uh, they're they're willing to bet on on new things. And not everyone's like that, and nor should everyone be. 
Um, but I definitely saw it felt in that early adopter phase of like, okay, you know, there's not a single conference dedicated to this thing and there's no meetups dedicated to this thing. Um, and I saw that technology wise, it was ready. And I was, I, I had some experience, you know, I think we talked about this last time. Um, you know, I helped to grow the, the React Reddit community from 30,000 to 220,000 people. And I was like, okay, I've seen that phase of like a mature project. And, and it's easy to sing the phrase, sing the praises of things that are already doing well. Uh, what would it take to start a community from zero? So that's when I got interested in it. Um, and quite honestly, the, the, the motivating factor for me was really that uh, I, was in Rich, I was in New York City with Rich Harris. And there was going to be the world's first, very first felt meetup uh, that was, that was going to happen in London. And, and I was like, shit, like we're in New York city and the creator framework is here, but there's no, there's no meetup for this thing. And we got to be in London. So I just randomly announced one day, I was like, Hey, uh, everyone, we're holding a salt meetup, um, a week from now. I don't have a venue. I don't have speakers. I don't have an attendee list. Um, but let's do this. <laughs> and, and we named this Felt society. Uh, we got a venue from Microsoft, uh, and fifty people showed up, and and that was the start, you know. And and uh, it's the, it's my experiments really of seeing like how far I can start from zero, and then uh, we just crossed ten thousand members uh, last week. Um, how long did that take? Two years. Two okay. Uh, one one point seven, one point six point years. I'll give it to you. Um, yeah. And uh, three conferences, bunch of small meetups. Cell societies around the world from Brazil to France to uh, India. And uh, it's pretty interesting starting a community from scratch, you know? Um, and I definitely do not take credit for all of it. I definitely named it. Uh, I named Svelte Summit. Um, that's that's my role, it seems, in this community. Uh, we have a podcast as well, a YouTube channel, uh, newsletter. And it's it's all the paraphernalia around the community. And I think this is something I've learned from observing React itself, right? When when React started, it def they definitely focused on growing the community a lot, um, and I I think that's felt is in that phase right now. So this is I guess my opportunity to, to test out my theories, test out you know what I can do with this thing. And so we're we're the de facto global community for Svelte. Um, there is no one Svelte community though. There's no one central authority, which I think is is a healthy thing when it whenever it comes to framework communities because there's going to be some people who are toxic. There's going to be things that you can't control. And I don't want the whole framework to be blamed when like someone just goes rogue or whatever. Um, so I, I call it a loose federation rather than like some kind of centrally commands or centrally organized. Like no one reports to anyone, like everyone's volunteers. It's, it's, it's one of those like loose communities. But um, I do think that it's important to have a community so that people can go for support to, to hire uh, hire each other uh, to develop libraries and share them uh, those kinds of things make sense to me as as the natural next step in the evolution of Svelte. The last thing I'll point you to is uh, I was very influenced by this other talk <laughs> uh, by Cheng Lu, also from the React core team, and and then he went to Reason and then he's recently left Facebook. Um, called Taming the Meta Language. Um, and he was actually arguing for less meta language. So there's there's the language, which is the, the framework uh, itself. And then the meta language is just everything around the framework, um, which tends to be like, you know, so there's there's the, there's the code and there's the documentation for the code. And then there's tests for the code. There's, uh, you know, 
tutorials, there's conferences, there's meetups, and all the craft that builds up around it. So he was really arguing for less meta language, right? Like if as long as the the the, the code and the docs are well explained and well documented, then you don't need a, a you know a, a whole host of people teaching you uh, <laughs> React. Um, so I, I'm not sure that's, that's exactly worked out for React, <laughs> but sure. um, but I, I do think I do think that uh, it's important to develop the meta language. Like at some point, the technology stops developing as it as a core technology because then you you basically just need to shit to fix bugs and uh and make it stable um then you need to start growing the meta language around it and that's essentially what Svelte society is because that that was the, the thing that i perceived was lacking what do you think the most important this is it might not even be specifically about Svelte society though i expect it would manifest that way um what are the most like if you're starting a community or at least a framework community given that you spend some time I say sometime uh, working with React and certainly the the subreddit. Like, what are the most important? Like, what should you focus on? What's the first thing? Is it support? Is it hiring? Is it like what's the what's job one? Interesting. I think events are a surprisingly underrated tool in the community builders toolkit. If you're good at if you're serious about building any community at all, you need to get good at events. Um, and it can be as simple as a meetup, as big as a conference, uh, or anything in between uh, from just uh, podcasts are also events, you know, um, launches of libraries are events, releases of YouTube videos are events, um, and doing the marketing before that and after that. <laughs> and actually con- concentra- concentrating people's attention around a, a certain flashpoint where there's a before and there's an after. Do enough of that and people see the momentum uh, and they can talk about it amongst themselves with each other. Um, and, and, and I think that's the, the start of something, uh, at least. Um, so I, always, I would def- generally tend to say like content is the minimal viable community because at the start, you're just putting stuff out there, and nobody talks. Nobody, you know, gives you feedback. But eventually, someone does, and you do you do enough of it, and then people start to gather around you. And I think that's a definite path that I've followed in the the communities that I manage. Because um, I don't I don't just do this one. I I, I run a community for my book, uh, as well as a finance Discord, um, and then uh, uh, you know for for my for my blog as well. Okay, so. Yeah, so, so events are underrated, uh, and then, but also I think hooking into the fact that like giving people a role to play, you know, um, people want jobs. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Like uh, it's weird. if you just if you're just like generally like uh, hey, just come help out, people don't really know what to do. Uh, but if you assign roles, I think it's it's a it's a better proposition. I don't necessarily think we've done a perfect job at this, but I've definitely, I definitely I don't necessarily think we've done a perfect job at this. But uh, we're we're definitely growing into it. So we have a newsletter person. We have a you know with a panel of people who come together for our biennial conferences. Uh, we have pod, our podcast people. Uh, I'm the YouTube person. I'm the Twitter person. You know, the, everyone has roles that they that they kind of play. And I think um, we uh, having that kind of limits you, but also sets the expectation of like, okay, when when this thing comes along and needs to be handled, we know who to go to. Um, and uh, yeah, having having roles gives that. Um, I'll, I'll say one thing for me, like. I knew I could see that Svelte was ready. Um, so plugging into something that is like ready, you know, basically like don't try to force a community where, where it's not ready to, to happen. 
um, because you're just going to have a terrible time. <laughs> so some amount of timing matters as well. And I, I definitely work a lot on my timing professionally as well as essentially, you know, what this is, this is a hobby for me, you know, uh, and, and so far it's done, it's done great, but, uh, uh, it's, it's, you know, I, I think everyone's on a volunteer basis on, on some level. Do you think, so when you were, um, you know, talking about kind of the first meetup for felt, um, I noticed that the location mattered like it was, you're talking about a physical event, like 50 people showed up. Is there a meaningful difference between, physical and virtual meetups, especially given the last, whatever, 15, 16 months? It's meaningful, but uh, I'm not sure that it's any, like, we'll still do them. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, people really like in-person connection. And first felt, you know, in Svelte Society in New York, we we met once a month until the pandemic hit and then we stopped. Um, but you know, it, 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 when it, when it's remote, uh, people are always distracted because everyone's multi multitasking, um, and uh, and you can't really see each other as much. So it's very much like focused on a topic, and then you and then you leave. You don't get to talk about just how your day went or just like random other stuff that uh, you know. It's there's there's less chance for serendipity. All the problems that people are talking about with remote work, um, and and it, it is true that people have Zoom fatigue and you know, screen fatigue and what have you. So um, it is a challenge. Um, I'm not really sure how we can fix that, but I think we just have to adapt. I think a lot of people, when we went from, when we did the online, the offline to online transition, we just ported the exact same format over. Like, you know, when we organized conferences, we actually did an eight hour conference online. That was a terrible idea. <laughs> no, one, no, one, no one's going to sit around and watch a video online for eight, eight hours. Um, <laughs> So, so then you adapt and, and you understand like a, a native remote uh, online first world and try to, you know, adjust, adjust to that. But you know, I think we're all ready for in-person events to come back. Uh, I'm looking to start one here in Seattle, um, par- partially because I like the alliteration. So Svelte Society Seattle would be uh, <laughs> the name of it as well as, uh, you know, Stockholm and London, I think are going to start back up again. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, there's, there's online and there's offline and there's, there's a room for both. The question that I think about a lot is, you know, when you're starting a community, you said just now, like you've got to kind of give somebody something, you've got to give them a reason. And, and the example you, you, you use was jobs. Um, and then content is sort of, I agree with you that it is the minimum viable community. But then I, or, and then I think about like what else that wouldn't be trite, you know, like it's important to give people roles Um, but that's on the community management side. I've seen on the other side, people who are actually members of the community, you give them stuff to do, you know, you give them like, uh, challenges or you can give them titles like, you know, ambassador or some kind of like, but I don't know if that's just me being jaded and being like, well, I'm not really an ambassador. I'm just somebody who logs into this website because I like this technology. Like that's, and I talk about it occasionally, (laughs) like maybe that's the definition. I don't know. Uh, so it's kind of an open-ended meandering. Do I think, what do you give a community to sort of sustain it beyond facilitating communication? Uh, partially, I think jobs really matter, you know, uh, and instead of roles, I'm, I'm really talking about jobs, like getting people hired uh, tends to make people loyal to you. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, definitely help to facilitate the jobs conversation and, and highlight the visibility of people's work. Um, which I think like people do a lot for recognition and 
just having a central shelling point. A shelling point is where people go to unspoken um, when uh, without coordination, like people just go to a central place. Uh, and definitely the Swell Society Twitter is the shelling point for the Swell community, apart from the Discord. Um, and having those shelling points helped people to gather and get their work recognized, which a lot, a lot of times is all they want. Um, for me as a community manager, understanding what each individual player is motivated by and, and giving them what they need uh, or connecting them with the right people at the at the appropriate moments, I think it's a big part of it. Um, ultimately, as a community manager, you kind of want people to start forming connections without you. Uh, this is a concept that Alex Hillman from 30 by 500 calls tumbling or tumbler, which is like from some kind of Jewish tradition where uh, a lot of times when you start a community, you're, you're sort of pushing the rock up up the hill and you're like trying to start conversations and then it starts and then you back off and then the, the rock falls back down with you uh, and you have to restart it again. Uh, tumblers really focus on uh, start kickstarting conversations and then letting it continue without you. And so that, that's, uh, I think it's definitely an aspirational goal. Not everyone's there, but uh, you, uh, definitely a, a successful community. There's two. There's two sort of things I focus on in a successful community: people talking amongst each other without needing you to be around, and then people expecting their relationship with the community to outlast any present employment. Um, so their identity is stronger with you than it is with their current job, um, and and that's true for all technology, including the one that I currently work on. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think Svelte is, is somewhat there. Uh, we, we definitely hang out and, and talk, you know, non-Svelte stuff. And I think it's great because uh, ultimately, like, Svelte is a perspective on the web, like, and where the web should go. Um, and the people who are, the kind of people who are drawn to Svelte are not the same kind of people that are drawn to React. And I really have been enjoying the qualitative difference. Well, that's a paradox because you were, you were drawn to React and now mm-hmm. you're drawn to Svelte. Mm-hmm. Busted. I mean, it's it's possible to have two loves, right? So um, when I wrote the Svelte for Sites, React for Apps thing, I, I actually did a, the most balanced take I could possibly do, <laughs> which is that uh, Svelte has all the tooling that you're going to need for interactive sites. Um, it has some some really good stuff for apps. But ultimately, if you want some of the paraphernalia that has developed over the last 10 years for, for apps, you probably want to go with React. Um, yeah, and, and that's just, just generally true. I'm going to start saying, and I hope I paraphernalia more because I, I noticed <laughs> I've heard you say it a couple of times. I really like it. I'm not being sarcastic either. I do like community paraphernalia. I'm going to start doing it. I encourage listeners to do the same. So you know how it works, plugs and stuff. Is there like, we didn't get a chance to talk about temporal at all. We didn't. Um, it's cool. Like I want, and we, you know, we promised uh, last time that I'll come back and talk some, about something more technical. So hopefully, we, we spent a bunch of time talking about community, but hopefully, uh, we, people get their technical fix on, on Svelte, what it is, uh, what it presents as a as an alternative framework, and uh, and these people can check it, check that out. Yeah, I mean, and if you have technical questions that were not answered here, you can tweet Swix, and he will answer them all, every single one. Yep, uh, we're also we're also Svelte Society on Twitter. Uh, we're at Svelte. Uh, we have it, we're on Discord and YouTube as well, so you can follow up on our conference there um, and join our Discord. Um, and for those interested in backend orchestration technology, uh, uh, check out Temporal.io, which is the company that I work at right now. Um, and we can have a whole different conversation on that, but it's more backend focused. So I don't know how how 
uh, much you're willing to take things in, in terms of front end or back end. But uh, I think it's super interesting. It's part of my own migration to towards uh, the back end. I mean, my opinion, especially the longer that I, that I'm here, is that it's it's the spectrum is fuzzy. You know, like it's it's obviously very different. But sometimes I, I especially when fielding kind of pitches from authors, right? You're like, oh, well, now I understand why. Like, yes, you want to talk about this front end part, but it also has to have this back end part, which is not mm-hmm. something that, again, I invented, but I'm just starting to understand it. Last thing, what's the name of the podcast that, because I think people sh- were on a podcast, they're probably like, I want to listen to other podcasts. We'll put it all in the descriptions and stuff, but yeah. Exactly. Uh, Svelte Radio, uh, it's basically one of these like uh, co-host things. So there's a panel of me, Anthony, and uh, Kev, who are the organizers of Svelte New York, London, and uh, Stockholm, respectively. And then sometimes we just talk about Svelte News, and sometimes we interview major figures in Svelte uh, and just to give them the spotlight and talk about their projects. So yeah, it's been, it's been going on for over a year now and uh, we're starting to actually put in some effort into editing and intros and transcripts and uh, even having a Patreon with videos and stuff like that. So it's an interesting project that it's led by Kev. So I'm, I'm just a panelist. Um, but uh, if you want more of this stuff, uh, come, come join us. Nice. Yeah. Well, for sure. Put that in. Go listen after you've, you've done. Listen to pod rocket. Then go listen to Svelte Radio and spend your technology time accordingly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're done. Um, Thanks a lot for coming back. I had a nice time. Thanks for having me. Uh, always, Always a pleasure. So that's it for this podcast. If you're interested in Pod Rocket, I think they're doing an incredible job just covering the front end space. And in particular, Svelte with another interview of Rich Harris and Elder JS. Both are recommended.